Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So today's episode 145 of the Jimmy's Table podcast, in which I'm going to talk about the coming housing crisis. But before I get into that, I want to give a disclaimer. And I feel I need to say this, not only to protect myself, but to protect you. Disclaimer, I am a mortgage underwriter for a living and specialize in collateral appraisal reviews for a mortgage company. I have been in the mortgage industry for over a decade. The opinions offered in this episode are my personal opinions and should not in any way be understood or construed to be the opinions of my employer. This podcast is in no way an attempt to offer advice on whether or not you qualify for a mortgage and should not be considered as such. If you have any questions whatsoever over whether you qualify for a mortgage or have any questions about how current and future lending environment will impact you financially and whether or not you should sell your home, you should talk to your mortgage broker, certified financial professional, accountant, real estate agent, and lawyer. I am not giving advice. Please do not act on anything I say. What I say is purely speculative, my personal opinion, totally disassociated from my employer, and for entertainment purposes only. So now that I've got all that out of the way and also giving you a sense of maybe why you should listen to this podcast today, uh, I am a mortgage professional. I specialize in collateral appraisal reviews, and I've been doing that for, uh, gosh, going on seven years now. Um, so I know a thing or two about how to value a home and what a house should be uh, you know, appraised at or you know, whether an appraisal ultimately checks out and whether it meets lending criteria and standards. So I, I know a thing or two about evaluating homes on an individual basis. And because of the nature of my career, um, I've always also, in intellectual curiosities, I've also always been interested in not only what's happening on the individual appraisals that I'm reviewing, but I'm also interested in the very larger macro environment in which uh, all this takes place because, well, it is what I do for a living and I thought, hey, I shouldn't just be a guy who sits in a cubicle and hits the approve button all day. Maybe I should understand a thing or two about the industry, the economy, and all that sort of stuff. I am not an economist. I have never gone to, uh, taken a single economics class, um, but I have been around in this industry for a long time. I've read a lot of different things. I've analyzed a lot of different things, and uh, I've heard a lot of different opinions, and I like to research it on it. So being that there has been this kind of uh, chatter recently, most recently by the U.S. Federal Reserve, who issued a warning about the signs of a housing bubble forming in the housing market, uh, I thought it might be a good time to bring my insights to it. Uh, in this podcast today, I want to talk about why we are currently experiencing what we are experiencing, um, whether or not a bubble is truly forming, and what we might be able to expect uh, with some reasonable conjectures about what is yet to come and whether there's going to be a housing crisis such as we saw in 2008 with the almost near complete economic meltdown that we were very, very close to experiencing because of the prior housing crisis. So with that said, let's go ahead and get into today's episode 145, the coming housing crisis question mark. Home values have dramatically spiked in the last two years with values being up over 27% in this period of time. To put that in perspective, historically speaking, homes values in the United States have tended to only increase 3 to 5% on average annually in recent decades. Of course, average means sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less, but generally speaking, you can expect housing values in most locales throughout the country uh, to increase on average 3 to 5%. Some, of course, with the first rule of real estate being location, 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 some have seen much more dramatic spikes over the years and um, have seen values increase uh, substantially even more than the 27% the 
Um, but these are just the general national trends that we have observed recently. So you might ask yourself, well, what has caused this sudden spike? It seems like all of a sudden everybody's getting house rich. Everybody's got all this money tied up in their house and they're selling at record profits and people are getting into crazy bidding wars. We thought bidding wars were crazy last year over homes when, when things were happening uh, last spring. But currently at the time of this, this recording of this podcast in 2022, uh, April 2022, um, you know, we're seeing even more aggressive stuff. So, so what's going on? What, what has helped create this current market? Here's the fuel for the current fire that we are seeing burn. First, cheap credit has made it possible for people to borrow more than ever when it comes to buying a house. For example, in December 2020, interest rates hit a historic record low at 2.67% for the Freddie Mac 30-year average on interest rates. At 2.67%, the bank is almost practically paying you to live in your house when you consider the rate of inflation. Uh, it, it, all, it almost makes me wonder, how are any of the banks making money when they're only lending at 2.67%? And well, I'm, they, they do that, by the way, by collecting closing costs and things like that. Um, but uh, it, it does make me wonder, how in the world do they do it at interest rates as low as 2.67%? Uh, but that's a, that's a question for somebody outside my pay grade. I don't run a bank. I couldn't tell you how to run a bank. Uh, so somebody at some point decided, hey, we can make money doing this. I just beg the question of how much. But uh, I guess they, they do that by volume and closing costs and things of that nature. But anyway, I digress. So we, we have this scenario in, in, in December 2020 where we hit record low interest rates of 2.67%. To put that in perspective, back in 1981, interest rates on homes were at 18 point some odd percent. So, you know, and ever since 1981, when interest rates were up at 18%, we have slowly but surely seen the decline in interest rates most years um, till it got to the point because of COVID and the pandemic and the, the policies of the government and the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank and their uh, lending standards for uh, interest rates Mortgage rates creeped all the way down to 2.67%. Second point, housing inventory has dropped dramatically. Zillow recently reported that there's currently only 729,000 homes for sale in the United States, which is dramatically lower from the 2 million homes that were for sale just a couple years ago. Active listings are currently down 18.9%, in just the past year alone. Economists say that in order for there to be a healthy housing market, that generally it's regarded that there should be six months of housing inventory available in that market. But according to the National Association of Realtors' latest data, there's currently only 1.7 months of supply in the housing market. And in some cities like where I live in Charlotte, you only have like 0.2 months worth of supply in local housing markets. So <laughs> there's not a lot out there to buy, but you can buy it really cheap with interest rates being what they are. Third, housing demand is very high. The United States is currently short over 5 million homes that is needed to meet the growing housing needs of America because of new household formation, because of the pandemic, labor shortages, and the increase of cost of material goods needed to build a home. Builders are unable to build a home fast enough in order to meet the surge in current demand. Fourth, while interest rates are still at historic lows, relatively speaking, Remember, relatively speaking, being the highest interest rates ever were, were 18%. And people keep making jokes about that. Like my dad loves to say, for example, my dad who's, you know, going on in his, going on his uh, senior years, uh, to say the least. My dad can remember buying a house at 18% interest rate. And he's always said, well, Jimmy, any interest rate below 6% is, is a gift from God. And I'm kind of like, yeah, relatively speaking, People like my dad are right. Yes, historically speaking, interest rates still are dirty cheap. But at the same time, my dad bought a house 
um, with 18% interest rate, but the house was only worth like $80,000. Whereas now, if you were to try to buy the same house, you would have a cheaper interest rate, but the house is worth five, six, seven times that much. So that doesn't really matter what the interest rate is per se, uh, relatively speaking, when you talk about the values of what things used to be versus what they are now. And they're that way because of inflation. Um, so yes, there may be a sense in which, yes, interest rates are low, but interest rates have been creeping back up. While interest rates are at historic lows, interest rates have gone from the, the bottom of the 2.67% in December of 2020 to where they recently are at 4.67%. As a result of this spike, this has created an additional surge of buyers in the market who fear that rates are going to continue to raise because the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank has said they're going to fight rates by raising or fight inflation by raising rates, and as a result, there's this panic, fear of missing out, or FOMO sort of factor that has pushed more and more buyers recently into the market who want to buy a house before they can no longer afford to do so. The median home price has jumped 25% from $327,000 in 2019 to $408,000 at the end of 2021. This has eaten in the ability of more and more people to afford a home. According to the National Association of Realtors, the median cost of principal and interest payments, excluding taxes and insurance, so just the, just the cost of the loan itself, Principal and interest payments have gone from 13.6% of a household's monthly income to currently 17.5% since January 2021, which represents ultimately a 28% increase in the median mortgage cost on principal and interest payments alone. And that's not even taxes and insurance. So you have people dramatically paying a larger share of their gross monthly income on a monthly basis just to make up for the doubling of interest rates in the past couple years. Fifth, so we can talk about mortgages, but I think it's also important uh, to talk about the fact that, you know, people buying homes aren't the only ones seeing a pinch in this country. Fifth, we also have renters who are feeling the pinch when it comes to housing. Renters have seen an average raise of 18% in their rent over the past five years, with rents in 2022 expected to increase by 10%. Some large cities have even reported rents increasing as much as 40% in some instances. A lot of people who are simply unable to afford buying a house for whatever reason are being pushed into the rental markets, which has also created a surge in rental prices. Altogether, the current trend in housing boils down to issues surrounding supply and demand. There's simply not enough homes for sale to meet the current housing demands. As a result of a scarce supply, people with the means to buy up existing inventory are doing so at a, in a very competitive manner, which has caused many people to get priced out, but in the process, it's causing housing prices to skyrocket. Bidding wars are abounding all over the country, which only further drives up prices. Traditionally, when you go buy a house, you see a house listed for sale, and let's say the house is listed for $250,000, and you say, okay, $250,000, I'll start off by making an offer of two thirty-five, dollars and let's see what happens with that. However, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> you can no longer offer a bid on a house for less than what it is traditionally listed at. Bidding wars abound, which only further drive up the prices. The current national average of sale price to list ratio is 102.6%. So if you're buying a home in most markets, you should expect that you're not going to be able to offer below list or the current list price when you make your offer on the house, 
whether you should come in and make a house uh, bid for the, the house you're trying to win, the house you're trying to buy, you should automatically expect that you're going to be paying more than the current list price. And that's what the national trend is, 102.6% of the list price. So if somebody, so if you're seeing a house listed for $500,000, that means it's going to sell for more than $500,000. So you better come to the table prepared to pay for more than what the realtor or the seller is currently listing the house for. That's that's just the case. Um, and I know personally speaking and, and my uh, Zillow watching habits that I love to do as well as the appraisals I love to pay attention for at work, I'm definitely seeing on appraisals uh, a number of uh, homes with uh, purchase prices over that of list. And I know here in Charlotte and some homes that I have personally been following, I've seen homes go for as much as 15% or more than the actual list price. Like I said, there's a lot of bidding going on and people flush with cash from not only, you know, government bailouts, but who are moving from places that for, are far more expensive as such as the case here in uh, Charlotte where I live, where we still have a lot of people that move from places like New York and California and DC and other areas that have traditionally higher home values who are selling their homes and taking the equity from the sale of their home and the profit from the sale of their home and just coming in and they're flush with cash and they're like, I don't want to live in expensive places like New York or DC or California anymore. I want to live in the land of milk and honey, of, of, of grits and sweet tea. I want to live in Charlotte. Uh, and they come to places like Charlotte preparing to drop lots and lots of cash on home, homes that they want to buy at a cheaper rate. Um, value and get more bang for their buck for and, and live the good life. Um, and because of that, in places like Charlotte, prices are skyrocketing even more than even perhaps what the national average is. So all this begs the question, is this the 2008 housing crisis all over again? And there's a lot of uh, commentary that might would make you think that this is the 2008 housing crisis all over again. After all, people see values are going up out of control, just like they did back in 2008. So a lot of people are getting nervous, and rightfully so, and they're expecting all of a sudden history to repeat itself, and that all of a sudden we're going to see a total collapse of the housing market, just as we did back then, uh, when housing prices went way up and then fell sharply down and took several years uh, to recover. Because of the current exuberance in this housing market, though, it's hard not to see why a lot of reasonable people wouldn't think that a, a bubble is definitely forming. Indeed, for the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank to say that there are signs of a bubble forming shows that, well, I think we should all pause and be a little bit concerned because they usually don't ring the bell uh, until it's already happening. But for those of you old enough to remember the 2008 crisis, the, you should also note that the current bubble isn't of the same nature of the prior housing crisis. The prior housing crisis of the early 2000s was fueled by a combination of speculation, supply outstripping demand, non-existent lending standards whereby mortgage companies made loans to everyone that had a pulse, also known as subprime lending or, you know, the infamous ninja loans, no income, no job, no assets, no problem. <laughs> And, you know, they were giving people 125% loan-to-value ratios on their properties and lending people more money than the house was worth because they thought, hey, what could go wrong? The housing market's already going to go up. Um, and people were buying two, three, four, five homes um, and not having to fully disclose their income or have it be verified or their assets or their ability to repay. Um, appraisers were just giving whatever they would literally sometimes walk into your home. Like I had a friend tell me recently, had an appraiser walk in the home and said, how much do you want me to value your home at? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, how much do you want? <laughs> and you know, all that sort of stuff was going back and happening in the 2008 housing crisis. Uh, people were over leveraged and there were complex derivative trading stock market you know issues that were all happening and all those things happened to create the crisis of 2008 
the in the current bubble, it has no relation whatsoever to the prior housing crisis except for the fact that values have gone up and gone up quickly. The current bubble has been formed by cheap credit, low housing inventory, um, strong demand, and the only real relationship that the current bubble has, uh, if you can even call it a bubble, I'm not so sure that I like that term bubble, but hey, the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank is using the term bubble, so you know, let's go with it. The only relationship the current bubble has to the last housing uh, bubble that we saw is the fact that values are going up, but they're going up and then, and for very different reasons than why they went up back in 2008. But so, hey, a bubble is forming. So let's ask the question, will this bubble burst? And that's the million dollar question everybody wants to know is if and when the current bubble will burst. And I want to tell you, I don't think that's likely. And that's my personal strong felt, I feel like informed opinion, not only as somebody who does this for a living um, and sees numerous appraisals every day. I've seen more appraisals uh, in my life than your realtor has ever appraised. Um, and I've seen uh, more appraisals than anybody at the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank has ever seen. Um, granted, I will say I'm looking at it a very individual by individual basis. Um, I, again, have said I'm not an economic expert on these sort of things. I'm telling you what I've seen based on the data, my personal observation of what I see happening uh, in the markets at work, um, and just my general exposure. But here's why I ultimately feel like uh, this is not a bubble that's going to be bursting, or at least anytime soon. In order for the current bubble that we have to burst, we would need to ultimately see a sudden strong inversion of supply and demand. The market reasons for why housing values are skyrocketing is based on very basic economic laws, the concept of supply and demand. When you have scarce amount of supply, yet you have a lot of people demand demanding that supply, that's when you get prices to go up because everybody's like, hey, there's only three of these things and you have 10 people trying to buy those three things and somebody's always willing to say, I'm willing to pay you more. It's simply a matter of supply and demand. And as long as there is more demand for housing than the current market is able to supply, we will continue to see home values go up. And I believe that's especially true where I live in, in Charlotte. However, with that said, money is not as cheap as it was once to borrow. Like I've talked about so far in this podcast, interest rates do continue to go up. And we can expect, because of what the Federal Reserve Bank has announced, that interest rates will continue to climb in the mortgage world for the foreseeable future, so long as the U.S. Federal Reserve continues to feel it needs to fight the current spikes of inflation by continuing to raise interest rates. And while inflation is starting to show some signs of slowing down, I just want to say it's probably not likely going to return to normal anytime soon. I know the president administration, you know, has been saying for the last couple, last little bit, oh, inflation is just a temporary phenomenon. It's just around the corner that it's going to be over. And they're still trying to kind of sing the same tune that they expect within the next year or two, inflation to be back under control dramatically and back to maybe closer to where it was prior to the current spike of inflation. But I wouldn't hold my breath. <laughs> the, the, the Fed has been really behind on keeping up with exactly the trend of inflation and trying to time how inflation is going to pan out. And frankly, they've been embarrassingly wrong. So I don't think, just based off that, we should expect inflation to likely be going back to normal uh, anytime soon. However, with that said, the rise of interest rates will definitely put downward pressure on housing prices and how much people can afford to borrow in order to buy a home. This will likely slow the rate of homes appreciating in value. And it will likely push a lot of people out of the ability to afford 
a mortgage, thus reducing demand. However, we're still going to see a massive shortage of homes as people simply are staying put and not selling their homes like they used to unless they absolutely have to. Because when you think about it, what's the incentive for anybody to currently sell their home? Of course, there's always the, the major life event factors that you know force people to sell their homes, such as death, marriage, divorce, taking a job in another city, and things of that nature. There's all those major life factors that you know support and force people to sell their home regardless of what the market's doing. And I definitely personally experienced that uh, just this past year going through a divorce. Um, I was forced to sell my prior home, um, a home that I intended to live on for a very long time and would not have ever thought of selling because I locked in at an ultra low interest rate of 2.8% for the next 30 years. And I was like, man, at 2.8%, I'm never moving. <laughs> no matter what happens to this house, I'm sticking here. Um, but, you know, I, I experienced a major life event and those sort of disruptions will always happen to force people to, to sell their home in order to buy another one or to move somewhere else. However, in doing that, people aren't going to be selling too many of their homes in order to try to chase a bigger and better home. Sure, in selling your home, you would likely see massive profits as a result of the soaring housing prices. I definitely saw in the four years I lived in my prior home, I definitely saw a steep increase in housing value just in the four years that I was in that home. And you could use the profits of that down payment to buy your next home. But guess what? Everyone else's home values have also recently gone up. Which, you know, ultimately offsets whatever gains you see in the current value of your home. So previously, if you had seen a massive uptick in your housing prices, you might be able to sell your house uh, and be able to keep your same job and then take the proceeds of your prior home and buy a bigger home with it. Um, I had actually done that previously. My my ex and I, we had a prior home that we sold. We sold it at a profit and we used the profits to upgrade our house um, into a bigger, nicer, higher quality home that we ended up buying several years ago. But if you were to try to do the same thing today, you'd probably not be able to, to do that. In fact, talking to some friends of mine and, and even thinking about the numbers myself, and I've run the numbers myself, you know, most people are in the place where they are right now that because of all the factors with increase in housing values and increase in interest rates, that most people I know and I've talked to said they would be unable to buy their current home at its current value and at current mortgage interest rates if they were to try to buy it again. They've simply told me I could not afford to buy my current home. I'm so thankful that I bought it several years ago. So combined with interest rates more than doubling in the past year, whatever house you may possibly buy in the future will simply be more expensive. You'll be likely paying more for less. And unless you receive some major promotion and increase in your salary, you will be likely buying a home in a less desirable location with a smaller square footage, a smaller lot size, and lower quality and condition. Of course, that doesn't apply to everybody. But I think if you were to look at your own situation and sit there and think, hey, if I took my current housing, uh, what I can currently afford for my mortgage, um, and attempted to buy the house again today, or a better house, I wouldn't be able to do so. And I think a lot of people are in that situation. And as a result of people realizing they're in the situation that they can't uh, not only afford to buy the same home that they have right now, let alone upgrade to the next greatest house, as a result, people are going to feel very little incentive apart from major life happenings such as death, divorce, uh, job transfer, and things of that nature 
people are going to feel very little incentive to sell their house and move to somewhere else. As a result, we currently lack a significant economic catalyst, I believe, that will cause the supply and demand ratio that we're currently seeing and experiencing to invert anytime soon. Inventory will likely remain low for years, while demand will continue to remain high. Economic factors may eventually claw, economic factors may eventually cause a slower rate of appreciation in the current housing market and the values of, of how much your home is worth. But that slowdown in appreciation is not the same thing as a bubble bursting. So with all that said, what's going to happen? What is going to happen to the current housing market? If I could look into my theoretical crystal ball and predict the future, well, one, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. <laughs> well, maybe I would. I, I enjoy doing this podcast uh, for sure. I, I, I do this for free. None of you pay me anything. Uh, but I probably wouldn't be doing the... <laughs> anyway, uh, um, if I could look into my theoretical crystal ball and predict the future, I think we're going to see a handful of different scenarios possibly play out in response to the current predicament that we find ourselves in, the, the bubble or crisis, if you will. I think we might see a combination of any of the following three scenarios play out. And there may be other scenarios other than these three, but in my mind, at least, so far as I have thought about it and meditated upon it and, and talked about it with others, these are the three scenarios I think we'll likely see ultimately play out. Scenario number one. There's growing indicators that the U.S. Federal Reserve will likely drive the economy into a recession in order to fight inflation. This wouldn't be the first time that the U.S. Federal Reserve has done such in order to fight inflation, um, and it probably won't be the last time. And all indicators are, there's, hence there's rumors at it, that they will deliberately drive the economy into recession in order to fight inflation because a recession would be more welcomed than runaway inflation. But raising interest rates means consume, and, and that's how the Fed ultimately uh, tries to control the economic forces is by raising interest rates. Raising interest rates means, though, that consumers and corporations borrow less money, less money that they use then to buy goods and services and expand their businesses, and that means less overall economic output. Like it or not, our economy is fueled by debt and debt that is ultimately used to fuel our boom and bust cycles. And if collectively, because interest rates are higher, we borrow less, the engine of our economy ultimately comes to a grinding halt. And if all of a sudden people can't afford their homes because they've lost their jobs, you'll likely see an increase in housing inventory as a result, as people are forced to liquidate their housing or lose it in foreclosure activity. Unless, of course, the government again issues a stay of foreclosure activity like they did during the pandemic, which would also further help dry up uh, housing inventory, just as housing inventory really dried up during the pandemic because nobody could foreclose on anybody who was behind on their housing. Scenario number two, we could hit a wall. We could hit a wall like a crash test dummy. The bubble won't burst, and home values won't collapse, in my opinion. But we could theoretically see a scenario, I believe, where people simply stop selling their homes altogether as buyers all but vanish too. Raising interest rates will take away individuals' abilities to buy a new home at current values. But values will not move all that much as apart from major life events such as death, marriage, divorce, and employment changes, people will simply stop selling homes altogether, as they, will know have, as they will have no incentive to actually sell their homes, because they know finding a better home than their current home will become nearly an impossible task, so they'll just stay at their house forever. In this scenario, everyone's current home will simply become their quote-unquote forever home whether they like it or not. The starter home will be a thing of a past 
you will just have the one home. That's where you will live. (laughs) And if they're forced to move, though, because of a major life event, it's likely, though, that those same people will be forced to become renters because the ability to buy a house will simply become out of the question, which has also given rise to speculation by some individuals that we may see a decrease in home ownership levels at this country, which traditionally hovers around 64 65%, and that America will become more of a quote-unquote nation of renters, especially as the only people that are able to afford to buy a house happen to be professional institutional investors and hedge funds who are now currently in the process of buying up single-family residential housing and converting them into rental properties, which is something they have historically not done in great numbers. If they've invested, it's been in in multifamily condos and co-ops and and things of that nature. But increasingly, Wall Street, you know, not finding a lot of confidence in the stock market, has decided to start investing heavily in the detached single-family white picket fenced house in the suburbs. Um, And I think I saw a stat just off the top of my head that currently a third of all offers on homes come from professional institutional investors, Um, which is amazing to think about. Well, that's the competition. And if that's the competition and and the average Joe, because of lending standards, can't compete with a professional institutional investor who needs no mortgage from anybody but can simply come in with cash or a loan secured as the result of issuing a bond or some other debt instrument and not taking a traditional mortgage like you would get from your local bank. How's the local mom and pop individual, how's the local single mom, how's the local family going to be able to afford to even remotely compete with that? Because they're going to get blown out of the water every single time. So I can foresee a scenario where we truly... We don't experience a bubble bursting, but a hitting of the wall where people not only give up selling their homes, but people give up buying homes as professional institutional investors become the primary purchaser of homes out there on the market. I think that could happen. Scenario number three, the final scenario I'd like to talk about before the end of this podcast. Have no fear. The government is here to help. (laughs) they'll save us, right? (sighs) Since the government has long considered it necessary to intervene in the housing market, and there's nothing the government loves more than to intervene in the housing market, you can almost be for certain that whatever happens in our crazy housing market that currently exists, that the government will decide it needs to get involved and quote-unquote fix things. And boy... Does the government ever fix things? Of course, the government being involved in the housing market hasn't always been a terrible thing. Sometimes the government has actually done a decent job at creating reasonably stable system that promotes high rates of home ownership. Of course, the same government has also messed up that system quite a few times. They've definitely engaged in some unconstitutional practices, And, well, you know, at the end of the day, for all the things that happened in the 2008 housing crisis, you know, for all the market factors that were at play, the government and the system it created helped fuel the housing crisis of 2008. Indeed, I think it needs to not be forgotten and can reasonably be argued by many people that the the current crisis we are experiencing is in part, a creation of the government, just as it was back in 2008. We wouldn't be experiencing the current crisis that we're going through in 2022 if it were not for the ultra-low interest rate environment that the government helped create in conjunction with the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank, if it were not for out-of-control government spending, ultra-strict immigration policies that keep cheap manual labor out of the country, hello, somebody... (laughs) tariffs, tariffs, remember those? Well, those tariffs have helped make things more expensive in this country. And the government takeover, of course, of Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae under the FHFA, the massive increase of conventional lending loan limits, 
strict zoning and building standards in any major metropolitan cities and states which traditionally vote blue, rent controls, stays in foreclosure and evictions, and so, so much more. All these things, in addition to the supply and demand factors that I've talked about earlier in this podcast, all these things have been the result also of the government meddling in the housing market and all these other factors coming into play, uh, economic factors that have helped create the crisis that we're currently having. So, but the government's going to be here to save us. I just feel it in my bones. It's going to happen. The government is going to be here to help make homes more affordable for everybody, just like the government loves to do. (laughs) I say that very cynically and, you know, somewhat humorously and with a touch of insanity. But I think it's, it's, it's going to happen. Scenario three is definitely going to happen in some degree. I anticipate with all this, politicians are eventually going to say, hey, we need a platform to run on for the next election or two. And with inflation getting high and housing values being out of uh, whack, we need to come up with some new proposals to make housing cheaper uh, and more affordable for everybody. So I, I think they're going to do possibly three different things to try to make housing more affordable. Some of these things actually may actually not be a bad idea, and some of them would actually be things I would personally argue for. Um, but here are the three things um, that I see, which, you know, while I might argue for some of it, I think could also be potentially bad and help fuel the next housing crisis. But it may help us kick the can down the road for a few more years and, and give us some relief. Um, and then we'll just have to solve the problem all over again in a couple of years. Uh, so, you know. But here's, here's the three things I'm going to see in this scenario that I think will happen with a government interference. One, they'll attempt to loosen the lending standards like they did back in the 90s and early 2000s. After all, housing values are going up, so we should make it easier for people to get approved for a mortgage. Right? <laughs> and hey, housing values are going to go up, so what could possibly be the risk of loosening the lending standards so that more people can afford the American dream? Right? Well, that, that sort of logic uh, happened back in the late 90s and early 2000s and helped fuel the housing crisis of 2008. So I think, you know, if I can get in my crystal ball uh, and say, hey, what, what's going to happen? I think you're going to see this play out because, frankly, lending standards have been pretty tight in recent in the past decade. Ever since the housing crisis, people were like, nope, we can no longer just order an appraisal and tell the appraiser what they're going to put down for the house value. Nope, we're actually going to have to verify. We can't just take your word anymore that you make $10,000 a month. We're actually going to need to see pay stubs, bank statements, and W-2s and, and your 1040s from last year. Uh, and we're going to actually have to pull your credit uh, and see how much assets you have in the bank. And you know, we're going to have to determine if you have an acceptable debt-to-income ratio. Uh, things of that nature. So those standards have been pretty strict for over the past decade um, since the last crisis. But, you know, I see somebody thinking, hey, we've been too strict. (laughs) We need to go back to the good old days when when housing was affordable for all. um, And uh, we need to loosen the standards because, you know, what's the real risk? So I think you're going to see that argument play out a little bit more. They'll create probably the, the, the... the reemergence of uh, interest-only loans, um, in which you don't pay down any principal and interest. You just, you know, take some adjustable rate arm. Uh, you have interest only, and you do some other things. I don't think, though. I think that they learned so much from the last crisis that they have to be careful about playing with such things. And I think they realize they probably shouldn't be lending to subprime, subprime borrowers. But you know, at the same time. People are going to vote for the politicians who promise them the most candy. And if there's a politician out there saying, I will create affordable housing and I will make it easier for you to get a loan, people are going to be like, yeah, I want what that guy's selling. That guy's going to sell me my future white picket fence house in the suburbs with three bedrooms, two baths, and a dog named Spot. You know, so don't rule it out. I don't think it'll get as bad, but... I predict looser lending standards coming in the future. Number two, second, the government will probably attempt to create more quote-unquote 
affordable housing by doing things government loves to do when they create affordable housing, such as putting caps on values and rent um, and creating convoluted tax schemes on housing. I think you'll probably see a bit of that. The government loves to say, hey, it's no fair that your rent raised 10% last year. Somebody shouldn't be able to raise it more than 2%. And you'll be like, yeah, I, I support that. Of course, any first-year econ student knows that there's no better way to create housing problems than to, to have rent and price controls. That's just basic economics. But in states that vote blue, uh, they traditionally love to do things like that because it helps an immediate group of people with their problem while screwing over everybody else. <laughs> That's not that group of people. So, And third, they'll probably, I think, eventually meddle. And I think this would actually be a good thing, even though some of you who, who love, you know, uh, strict zoning things. I, I think eventually you're going to see the federal government get much more involved in local zoning ordinances in some way, shape, or fashion. There's this entire group of people called the not in my backyard crowd or NY, or I'm sorry, or not in my backyard, also acronym of NIMBY, the NIMBY crowd. The NIMBY crowd loves to artificially inflate and protect the values of their homes by creating strict zoning and building standards for homes. As a result, um, they often make it impossible for there to be denser multifamily condominium style housing and suburban markets, um, or even in city places like San Francisco, for example. They have very strict ordinances against building denser homes because they don't want to see skyscrapers full of condos or anything like that. Um, they want to preserve that traditional small town feel that they've so come to love. But trying to preserve the neighborhood and save the neighborhood. Um, and uh, you can build that, but just not in my backyard sort of mentality has resulted in a lot of cities, um, you know, really having a housing crisis as they eventually just run out of land. And if you run out of land and places to build new stuff, you have to start building further and further, further away. When in reality, instead of building further and further away, you should be, be building more densely. And instead of everybody having a 3,000 square foot house on a half acre of land, you might have two townhomes of 2,500 square feet uh, on a third of an acre of land. Um, but the not in my backyard crowd is like, hey man, like I, my house is on a golf course. I can't have a, a multifamily home being built next to me. That would ruin my housing values. And so people get together with their local real estate agents and governments and protest the government and say, not in my backyard. I'm not going to allow that to happen. Uh, that would be a, a crime for you to build uh, cheaper uh, homes for people who can't afford to live elsewhere um, <laughs> in my backyard. So I'm not going to allow it. And while we're at it, I want you to build with the highest grade building materials because I can't have a trailer being placed next door to my million dollar house. That would, that would, that would hurt my house's values. People would not want to live here all of a sudden. Um, and so you get zoning ordinances like that that protect um, you know, the status quo in a lot of markets. And as a result, and markets like Charlotte, all of a sudden you start getting, or San Francisco or other major metropolitan cities, these zoning ordinances make it impossible uh, for new cheaper housing to come into the market. And as a result, uh, you can start only building the McMansions uh, that everybody so loves. Um, but eventually those McMansions become too expensive even for the richest people to afford. And all of a sudden you get situations where you have like in San Diego or something, people paying a million dollars for a studio a condo somewhere. So <laughs> all that happens because of market forces and zoning ordinances and those sort of things. So I would not be surprised, and I think this is something I would actually champion, um, that you know we need to loosen zoning standards so that we can build denser residential property um, and to use cheaper materials in the building. Yes, that may hurt your country club house value. Um, but in, in the end, that is probably a practical solution that would help and one I would fully support. Uh, the other two, uh, maybe not so much. <laughs> so some of these things 
when it's all said and done, could possibly be good in these three scenarios. And some of these scenarios I would welcome to some degree or another. But at the end of the day, I do worry. I do worry that the government meddling in housing, while it could possibly bring a couple of years of relief, will eventually just get us back to where we are yet again in a few years and another crisis down the road in which all of a sudden people are like, holy cow, I can't afford to buy a house. I need some help. Who can I vote for to help me? <laughs> so everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, episode 145, the coming house housing crisis. I believe we have concern. I believe values are going to be challenging. Interest rates are going to be challenging. People are going to have a hard time buying another house. But I don't think we're going to see the crisis that we saw in 2008. Instead, I believe we're going to see something quite a bit different. Is it going to be painful? Yeah. Is it going to crash the economy? Probably not. Uh, I don't think we're going to get anywhere near where we were in 2008. But I do have my concerns. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, Jimmy's Table.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. If you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to go to Jimmy's Table.com slash subscribe and find out your favorite way to subscribe, either through Apple, Spotify, or the number of other ways you can subscribe to this podcast to get the latest podcast when it comes out every week. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to go back and listen to some of the old podcasts, man, I encourage you to do such. And after you do such, I encourage you to go to Apple and Spotify and leave a glowing five-star review. If that inflates the rating of my show a little bit, I can live with that. <laughs> I, I can live with the, the, the rating of my show being higher than a 4.3. Uh, on, on Apple. Like, let's get it back up closer to five. <laughs> and if you do that, more people will be attracted to the jimmystable.com podcast. And maybe people will eventually find this podcast a scarce resource that they're willing to pay money for. I don't know. Probably not. Because this is just me after all. Everybody, this has been, again, Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Take care, everybody. God bless. Have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all. <laughs>